and they feel the buildup and they, they, they feel the tension and they want to know how is this tension going to be resolved? What is the resolution? Oh my God, there's a major conflict for our hero. Our, our heroes in trouble. What is he going to do? How is he going to solve this problem? And Oh, he slayed the dragon and everything is happy and dandy in the universe. Once again, yeah, <laughs> so sort of understanding, understanding that no matter what topic you have, follows exactly that that shape that i just described to you yeah even if it's about a phone even if it's about cutting the grass even if it's about whatever if you tell your stories in that fashion every single time your audience just they can't help but be intrigued by what it is that you're talking about you're listening to dead set podcasting with your host josh liston this is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to Deadset Podcasting. I'm very excited. I'm joined by Jay Podvader Soderberg today, and the, at the real Podvader on Twitter, one of the great handles of all time, and also one of the great Twitter profile pics of all time, and a bit of a podcasting guru and he i hate the word guru so i won't apply that to you actually let me rephrase i think you're more maybe a podcasting truth teller mate so welcome to the show and welcome to the mostly australian and new zealand based audience well uh it's it's great to be talking with you folks down under uh you know i will try to avoid making all the really bad american jokes that we have about you know, uh, Aussies and uh, New Zealanders, but uh, I can't promise anything. As long as you don't try to do the accent, because I'm sorry, but I think we're a little bit better at your accent than you are at ours. That's just quite. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would gander that would be really true. Yeah. Uh, the, the the one thing before before we start, since you gave me the okay, is that this is I love this is my favorite because uh, on the day that we're recording this the day is already done so how was friday uh, i need to know since my friday has just begun and it's already over for you so i just need to know how's friday gonna go is it gonna be a good day for me friday was the weather's been terrible here today but i'm not going to complain about our weather compared to the northern part of north america obviously our weather is little baby weather compared to what you guys get but it's wet and raining i think it was the coldest first day of may ever recorded in australia whatever that means oh. so yeah it was a pretty miserable day but i got a fair bit done went and bought some parts for my diy acoustic panel things that i'm building at the moment that's kind of a project but i i'm more interested in knowing how you think your friday is going to go jay is there going to be much podcasting done or is this going to be it actually i actually i actually do have another guest appearance on another podcast later this afternoon and as the executive producer of the Lockdown Podcast Network, I'll have at least four or five shows to listen to, and then I have a whole slew of promos and ads to put together. So I have a full day of podcasting ahead. <laughs> That's exciting. I'm excited about the Locked On Podcast Network discussion. I'm also excited about the fact you used the word slew. So <laughs> maybe first we can just dive a little bit into your background, Jay, because I wouldn't normally ask a guest to talk about themselves at length, but I think because I want to orient today's conversation to things that don't really ever come up in podcasting discussions, and that's maybe your expertise in sports. And Australia is sports mad. 
And I think that's something mm. that's very common and it's maybe something that we share very much with people in North America is how much sports dominate our lives. So can you just tell us maybe quickly your history of how you got to the Locked On Podcast Network? Sure. So I've been involved in broadcasting, starting on radio broadcasting since I went to college way back in the day. That was like 19, the 1990s. It was still the 19s, uh, if you can believe it. So I've been involved in broadcasting for 25 plus years now uh, on the radio side. I started at as a audio producer, technician, whatever you want to call it for the Christian Science Monitor when they had a radio show, which was on NPR. And from there, I made my way to ESPN, which is where I spent a bulk of my career, 16 years there, eight years on radio, and then eight years podcasting. I was the uh, lead producer in charge of all the podcasts at ESPN and basically launched the ESPN platform of podcasts. From there, I was the vice president of Blog Talk Radio, which then merged with Spreaker to form a company called VoxNest. And from there, I ended up at the Locked On Podcast Network as the executive producer of 150 plus uh, podcasts, uh, one podcast for every major professional sports team in the United States and many of the college, uh, many of the college teams. Maybe just so we don't not get to it, Jay, can you tell us a little bit about what an executive producer at Locked On does? Just for anyone who's wondering, what does a podcast executive producer actually do? So many folded uh, <laughs> tears to the job. One is to work with each of the individual talent to help them perform their shows with best practices in mind, teach them best practices of broadcasting, teach them how to tease content, how to tell a story, how to organize their thoughts to tell that story, how to prioritize different news items in a show so that, you know, you start with the good stuff and you maybe tailor off to the less good stuff towards the end of the show. Working with the talent on how to promote their podcasts uh, properly on social media and other platforms. I also create a lot of the promos and the production pieces, the production elements that you'll hear on the network. A lot of the hosts will do their own for their own show, but some will ask for assistance. If there are any promos, I'm putting those together. I'm writing those. There's so much more. There's there's lots of little details in the mix. There's planning of calendars. There's organizing special events. Just a couple of weeks ago, we right before the NFL draft, we did a full-on network presentation of a mock draft where each of the individual NFL hosts acted as the general manager of their team to select a player. And then we used our college hosts to act as experts on the players that were selected. And our Locked On NFL show uh, was sort of the main desk. So if, uh, if you want to relate it to this year's NFL draft, the Trey Wingo desk was hosted by Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson, and they would throw from time to time to our Locked On NFL draft and our Draft Dudes podcast hosts. And then our individual show hosts would come in and make their selection, give their reasoning why. Our college hosts would provide a player profile. It was a really, I thought, well done production and the audience apparently agreed to because it got record numbers, which I'm always excited to say when that happens. I do know you are a numbers man. So 
before we <laughs> before we maybe go back in time, Jade, do you mind everyone at this point in the world is probably thinking, how is sports working with mm. COVID nineteen and how do you as a producer, you mentioned, I think in there, you would have had a calendar and I had no idea because I'm a massive tennis fan. My entire pattern of how I consume media and watch television and I have six months in the middle of the year where I have to get up in the middle of the night and watch the French Open into Wimbledon. Basically, I'm a zombie for six weeks. How much sport dictated my calendar? So how have you guys dealt with the fact that there's less games than what you would have imagined there could ever not, you know, not be <laughs> when you were, you know, even a couple of months ago. And when you say less games, there are zero games. Yeah, zero and games. When you yeah. say, <laughs> and when you say, how do sports and COVID-19 coexist? They don't, yeah. which, is not, which is not very nice. For us, we embraced it immediately as an opportunity. You know, one of the things that Locked On prides itself on is uh, local sports, your team every day. So five days a week doing short podcasts covering every major sports team. When the virus shut everything down, we looked at it as an opportunity to embrace a side, a creative side. How do we present a sports podcast on a daily basis to an audience that's expecting the latest news on their favorite sports team? And a lot of it was our ho a lot of it was driven by our hosts creativity and some of it was driven by us one of the things that we managed to do was we were able to get our network mind together created a town hall amongst all of our hosts uh, myself and some of the other executive team and we planned out a two to three month schedule when everything shut down as to what kinds of themes could we embark upon as a network each and every week. So best moments in franchise history, best moments in the franchise last season, uh, top five moments in franchise history. A lot of it had us going back into the history of the team. Uh, some of our hosts created audio documentaries highlighting one specific season of their franchise, and they came out spectacularly. And those were projects that they don't normally get a chance to undertake unless it's the off season. And so we basically looked at this as we're in the off season. It's an extended off season, one that we weren't necessarily ready for, but we can rise to the occasion and provide our audience with great content. And um, again, not to pat myself on the back, but uh, it's worked out quite well. And the audience is still there listening to the podcast. It's it's been great. We did obviously see an initial dip in our listening when the world decided to go kablooey, but uh, everything's coming back, which has been fantastic. It sounds like you guys are doing what I imagined in my head the ringer would have been doing, and that's I thought about when it all started. I thought there are companies in the world now that may not have been five or six, five to ten years ago that are sports-related media companies that are built for handling handling things when the sport's not happening. And I think The Ring is an example of that. And I'm not a huge fan of any particular show, but they diversified away and around sport, like away from with their pop culture and around it by having a lot of historical stuff that they would work into their... They weren't just arguing about 
LeBron and KD and if Kyrie Irving really believes the world's flat and shouting at each other, <laughs> they were actually producing kind of a meld of different things. As someone that used to work for the world's biggest sports media company, I guess, do you think that when it comes to podcasting about sport, when all this is happening, that there is more companies willing to take a risk and do different things than what they might have been in the past? Or am I just making all that up? No, I think you're I think you're spot on to use your vernacular. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the the virus forced companies into a position where they had to take a risk because they had no other choice. The regular day-to-day wasn't something that was going to be available to them. They had to do something different and try something. And quite honestly, I applaud my former employers for trying things basically live in the moment. The the horse, you know, on television, the the horse game was awful television quite possibly some of the worst television I've ever viewed in my entire life. It was terrible. But I applaud them for giving it a chance because there was literally nothing else that they could do or or broadcast. I, I still think that there's opportunity there. I think there's a way to make that better. I'm not going to share those ways because... Well, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> I, if they want that idea, they can come see me. They know how to find me. But the but the fact that they literally took that chance was was brilliant on their part and i applaud them for it i guess it wasn't so much that i was disappointed in the traditional companies i thought that they did the best honestly that they could with an impossible situation i guess i was more thinking that the ease at which a ringer for example because they're probably the biggest example could just shift their content yes. it was very natural for them because they'd already been kind of floating away from sport at different times anyway and i guess that's kind of what i was getting at so yeah and that's uh, i think i mean not to uh, not to paint too broadly a picture but i mean i think that's sort of the reason why you see a bill simmons in the ringer no longer at espn or a pod vader no longer at espn i think there's there there are certain people who are willing to take those risks before the virus and there were others that were not. Okay. <laughs> That's very diplomatic. <laughs> There's a few things that you've said, and I think I've listened to the entire 12 months of Always Listening over the mm. last two or three weeks, and a lot of it's news. So the news, particularly as of recently, a lot of it became null and void in terms of importance, but there's little things that you and Joel talk about in between the news that's really content-rich when it comes to how do you actually make a good podcast. Had you said a phrase the other day, and I don't know whether it really appealed to me for some reason, I'm not sure why, it's the anti-ad establishment, which I thought was both brilliant and funny. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't even know if you recall that, but I did tweet you about it to hopefully prod your memory a little bit. Do you remember who, maybe not who you were talking about, but what type of person you were talking about when you mentioned the anti-ad establishment? No, unfortunately, but I do love the phrase and yeah. I'm so glad I said it. It, <laughs> it, it. There was another moment in, in my in my long storied career where I was I was doing a uh, I was doing a presentation and just it came out of the blue for me. I was talking about building a badass clubhouse. And when you build a badass clubhouse, everybody wants to be a part of it. So you don't have to worry about 
necessarily promoting it or, or monetizing it because when everybody wants to be a part of it, it becomes easy for you. And <laughs> a year or so later, somebody else uh, who I had great respect for was up on the stage and they said, and as Pod Vader says, just focus on your badass clubhouse. <laughs> I was blown away. Yeah. I was sort of like, whoa, I'm getting quoted back. Like, that's never happened before. Yeah. Well, that was pretty good, too, i got to admit. The anti-establishment, for what I could pick up, was there's a certain segment of people that have a big voice in podcasting, but maybe more so a big voice in giving advice about how to make a show how and where to make it they're traditionally in my experience they're very anti-ad to the point where it kind of makes absolutely no sense why they're so (laughs) anti-advertising and they are the establishment but they do seem to be anti-ad so is that something that you would have said on a whim or is that something that maybe you feel that we've got this i don't think we're anywhere near peak ad like we haven't I know radio in America has a massive ad load and it's becoming more and more common here in Australia as well. We're nowhere near 20 or 30% of every hour just being ads, like in a podcast. Like I think even Joe Rogan, I worked out mathematically, his average show length versus his ads is about 6% or something. So where are we at with ads in podcasts? Are we too, is there too many or is it just that they're not very good and that's what's bugging people? <laughs> Uh, it's a lot of everything that you just said. <laughs> First, the one thing that the coronavirus has definitely shown us is that those that were all ads and nothing else are struggling mightily uh, because the ad revenue has dropped. I don't care how many reports that you see out there that says, oh, the ads, everything's going dandy. Everything's still great. We're still getting a big ad. It's not happening. There's a definite downturn in advertising spending. And so those that are simply reliant on the ad revenue are, are hurting big time. I've never been one that I was never one that said you should be all in on ads. My whole thing has always been, you need to have as diversified a revenue stream as you possibly can. And as a matter of fact, I call it a revenue river, which is fed by different streams. So one stream is your ads. One stream is your merchandise. One stream is uh, listener support. One stream, you know, as many different streams as you can to build a fully functional revenue river that you can sustain your podcast on. So for those that actually listened to that advice and have diversified their streams, they're not feeling any sort of real revenue hit uh, because of the virus. Those that are all in on just listener support, I know are feeling it too because everyone's tightening their pockets now. They're getting ready for the next great depression if that's what's coming next. They're making sure that they've got money to be able to put food on their table and that I, and this was something that I always mentioned to a lot of folks that were listener support only is like, listen, if I've got 10 bucks for Disney plus and I've got 10 bucks for Hulu and I got 10 bucks for your podcast, and I got 10 bucks for this podcast. Eventually I'm going to run uh, 10 bucks. Yeah. And <laughs> now that we're in an economy that's going to shrink my pockets, well, which 10 bucks am I going to take away? Well, I can only get my Star Wars stuff on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to keep that one. Uh, I like to watch TV at night. I'm going to keep Hulu. Uh, your podcast, 
I can still listen to it. I'm going to, I'm going to take that 10 bucks back from you. And this other one, I can listen to it with ads. Okay. I'll, I'll suck it up and I'll listen to it with ads. That's the sort of thing that people have to start realizing. It's not one or the other. It's everything mixed together that makes everything sustainable. That's all awesome. And there's a couple of things in there I want to try and hit. Firstly, was it the Revenue River? Is that the right? You're just the Revenue River. Ah, you're just yeah. full of these. They're amazing. That's the first thing I'll say. I should, I don't love ads, and but then I think about what's the your favorite thing that happens in all of podcasting. Josh is Bill Burr's ad reads. They are my mm. favorite thing to listen to in the entire medium. He that's when I think at least on his show, he is at his funniest. And if I was able to purchase a lot of the stuff because it's North American only, as far as the deals and access to the products, particularly when it's meat and that sort of stuff, I would be all over everything Bill's selling on there because I love it so much when he does his ad reads. So is it maybe a lack of personality that it's transitioning from a heavy personality medium into these ad breaks that just lack personality? Is that why they're not, is that why they're annoying people? Maybe more than what they should be, Jay? What's the actual problem with the ad content? Because for me, Bill Burr, my favorite thing in podcasting is ad reads. So what is it that's wrong there? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this, Let, and, let's hear and, and some of, <laughs> some of it is virus related, and some of it some of it isn't. So the first part is let let's look at the different types of ads there are. There's the host grade ads that you just mentioned with with Bill Burr, and then there's pre produced ads. Oftentimes, these are the same ads that you're going to hear from the radio. And you had asked before, is the creative bad? And the answer to that is yes, creative is bad. There's also a, a misunderstanding of, well, I can just take the same ad that I've produced for radio and I've produced it in a certain way to make sure that I'm garnering a person's attention so, because they're completely distracted. They know that they're going into a long five minute break stop here on the radio. So I need to make my ad as loud and obnoxious as possible to garner their attention. Well, when I take that same ad and I put it in a podcast where the person is fully invested and and devoted and listening to every single piece of content that's coming out and they've literally stuck the content in their earbuds. If I play that same ad, oh my God, I've just, I've killed that person. Their brain has just exploded. That's that that's part one of that. But even further to that is if you make a more warm feeling advertisement with 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 the right type of copy, it's difficult to scale because the reason the person is so devoted listening to that content is because of the personality that's on the show like Bill Burr. So they want more of Bill Burr selling the product. Well, how do I get an ad company to provide that type of freedom to a million podcasters? Apple now has over a million podcasts in their in their app. How do I allow a million different people that sort of freedom that I give to Bill Burr? It's it's nearly impossible to do. There's no way to police that where somebody might say something that is dramatically off brand or puts that brand in some sort of jeopardy or, or even without even knowing it's a, 
it's it's a podcast the brand doesn't even want to be associated with to begin with. So it becomes extremely difficult to to the word I hate from Silicon Valley scales. Yeah, everything's got a scale. It's the worst word. It's literally in my top three least favorite words. But in this instance, it is impossible. <laughs> it is impossible to scale that type of thing. So so what is the next step? It's it, it's going to be it's going to take us some time to really figure out the creative when it comes to advertising and podcasting. But I think it's a necessary evil that people need to start embracing. And again, it's not that we want to recreate what's happened in American radio. I mean, there's clearly a reason people are leaving the radio and listening to podcasting more. But there is a need to have that sort of revenue in place to provide a product that you're listening to for free, ultimately. Unless, of course, you're listening supported. And if you're doing that, then you shouldn't be placing ads. Uh, on Always Listening, we did. there was an episode where I noted that there were some of the uh, NPR shows were getting feedback from their audience like i'm listening to uh, i'm listening to the ad free show but i'm not getting the promo codes and i want to purchase this product but i'm like that you clearly don't understand how advertising works like you need to listen to the advertisement to get the promo code you don't just get <laughs> this show without an ad and then you get the promo code to go get the discount on the product like that yeah <laughs> that's not how advertising works yeah <laughs> um so there's a lot of that involved. Uh, and then with the virus, all of these companies have decided to go to this. We're all going to get through this together. And, and at first I thought I was the only one and I thought it was really heartless on day one of the NFL draft where every ad was, we're going to get through that. I was like, enough or just sell me your product, please. Like, I don't want to hear this we're all going to get through this together like just sell me your product already yeah <laughs> I, I, I can't believe i'm at the point now where i'm like can somebody please make a bad commercial joke just i'm dying for really bad commercial copy i, I just want to hear it so badly right now well that's a very sad state of affairs <laughs> it really is i sometimes put bill burr out there as an example to people but one thing that i need to keep in mind jay is that he has, and this show is pretty much a clean show. I don't normally do that. Most of my shows are comedy shows. but So I won't say what I want to say, but he has go-away money. And he's mm. one of the best comedians in the world. And it wouldn't matter to him, I don't think, because whenever there's less advertisers, he seems happier about it because <laughs> he could put all his energy into one ad. So if they all pulled the plug, he'd say, oh, yeah, whatever, I'll just keep doing it. Because he does it, I think, because he likes it. And he said before, it helps him sell out tours in Australia or in right. or in Poland or Russia or wherever he's going that he doesn't quite know how the audience is going to react. But it also, they get to absorb a lot of his worldview and his comedic stylings from the podcast. So he gets there and they get the jokes about the New England Patriots or whoever he's talking about. See, that's a diversified yeah. revenue river. Yeah, it right is. There. and. That please go away money, I think, is why Bill maybe gets away with something that other people can't get away with. He's not, he's not in no way brand safe, but I guess it's so effective that they just let him do his thing. But the other one that comes to mind is Adam Curry and is it John C. Dvorak? They get, yep. they get held up as the gold standard of the 
value for value model. But to me, if we're using them as the example of the model, that's probably because of how infrequently it works, more so than how frequently it works. If there's only one example of it working that well, then that to me means that they're the outlier, not the example. And maybe I'm off base with that, but I think it has to be a mix of everything and something like what Tom Merritt does on Daily Tech News Show, where it's there's ads when he has ads and it's listener supported as well, and he keeps the balance natural. Maybe that's what we should be looking at more so than these one-off examples. I don't know. Cut me down. I'm, I'm open to being... Told I'm completely wrong, Jay. <laughs> no, no balance. Uh, balance as in the force is is very important. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, when it comes, when it comes, it's to, only May the first here in the future. That joke's got to wait three days. <laughs> well, well, trust me. As Pod Vader, uh, you can all have May the fourth, but I celebrate Revenge of the Sixth, uh, right. which comes after after Cinco de Mayo. Just so you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the um yes balance is very important because it, it again showcases that diverse revenue stream the other thing that's important to note about the outlier of adam curry and john c deverock is you're talking about adam f and curry i mean the man already had a built-in audience before all of this he was hugely popular not only in the united states but in europe because of his presence on the radio in Europe. And then of course on MTV where all of my generation, generation X all grew up with him. So they all knew who Adam Curry was. So he already had a built in audience and now he's delivered a news message by the way, since the beginning, he's the pod father for a re he invented podcasting. So he's been around since day one. If you wanted to go out there and start the exact same show with the exact same model, you're going to have a difficult time of getting launched. And certainly it, you're going to have a difficult time to get to the revenue that they're pulling in because it's a different time now than it was 15 years ago. And you have to build that audience up over 15 years to get to where they're at now. And they certainly, and they'll be the first to tell you, where they're at now is nowhere near where they used to be when they first started doing all of this. So they are a little bit of an outlier, despite being the gold standard as well. There are others that have had success. Uh, I would I would mention Jennifer Briney of Congressional Dish, uh, whose show actually was born from the idea of the No Agenda show. Uh, she's done very well for herself on listener support. Trivial Warfare with Jonathan Oakes is another show that does extremely well with mainly listener support, although he has included some advertisements uh, as he's grown his podcast. Uh, there, there are other examples out there that that are lesser known. I, uh, Rob Sesternino of Rob has a podcast, has a very large listener support income to the point where uh, he's donating – somewhere close to $20,000 in COVID-19 relief uh, just from revenue he's earned in the past month. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive when, when, you, when you think about it and what, what it takes to, to raise that amount of money in a month and still be able to donate it. Because quite honestly, I would love to have that $20,000 donated to me in my cause. Uh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> the Pod Vader Fund is open and available for anyone who'd like to donate. I think you, de you deserve at least 
$2,500 just for your Twitter Twitter profile pic. <laughs> so just we talked a little bit about where things maybe are at revenue-wise, but that's not really why I podcast, I guess, because I'm a, basically a hobbyist and try to do it as well as I can, Jay. But one thing I'm wondering is with a show like Always Listening, you guys do a great job of deconstructing a lot of the reports and the charts and we have a lot of rankers around the world now which are being powered a lot by radio networks and there's also a proliferation of newsletters how do those things actually help me make a better show like why would i care about any of that stuff because if there's a million podcasts or two million i've only got two and a half podcasts (laughs) so can you explain to me maybe what i'm missing between how those charts, what what they are, but how that actually impacts me day to day. Like, what can I take from that stuff that helps me make a better podcast? Probably not a lot. There is room in this world, I think, for the professional podcaster and the hobbyist podcaster. I think when we talk about those charts and who are on those charts, one of the biggest reasons why I like to highlight it is to remind the hobbyist who wants to be a professional podcaster of who exactly is the professional and what it's going to take to get to that level and what it's going to take to compete at that level. Uh, and, and that's something that I think a lot of people who get involved in podcasting don't quite put together they they say oh there's lots of money in podcasting well there is and there's great opportunity but there's also great competition and understand the competition that you are going to set yourself forth if your number one goal is to earn money from your podcast you're competing with all of those top ranked radio stations and that's that's sort of one of the reasons why i continue to highlight those charts despite all their flaws that those charts have the the other thing is there are things that the independent podcaster the hobbyist podcaster the just starting off professional podcast can learn from those highest ranking podcasts you can learn best practices you can learn what they're doing to create great content whatever your definition of great happens to be what it takes to make that type of content you can definitely learn those skills you can you can learn how to uh, better use your microphone you can learn better audio techniques you can learn better editing techniques you can learn better storytelling techniques and these are things that those larger podcast companies those larger radio companies already know how to do the one thing i'm always reminded about when i'm talking to people about podcasting and how to podcast is many people almost all of the people that i speak to don't have the same background that i have i went to a university to learn the art of audio storytelling now when i went to college i went with the idea that i was going to be on the radio the idea of podcasting wasn't even invented yet when when podcasting was introduced to me It was one of those things where I immediately went, this is the future. This is what it's all about because it's all about freedom of choice. If, you know, and, and going back to that sports angle, when I was at ESPN and was introduced to it, it was more of, 
I no longer have to listen to sports talk about baseball and basketball because I don't care about those sports. I only want to listen to the football stuff. Give me my football information and now I can have my football separated from all that other stuff. And maybe if I'm interested, I'll go and listen to a, a baseball show or a basketball show. But I really want the football stuff. Like that's, to me, that's the gold. I don't want my peanut butter and my chocolate mixed together, even though peanut butter and chocolate is quite delicious. <laughs> so you said a few things there that are pretty intriguing, Jay. One thing, I guess, for me is that my issue with a lot of the reports and ranking of shows and all that kind of stuff is we're making an ex post judgment and it's kind of building a narrative as to why that show got to where it is and we're essentially just speculating on why a show is great or why a show is not great and my problem is that i can tell that most of the authors of shows oh sorry of articles and particularly the articles that talk about the rankers they haven't listened to a full episode of Joe Rogan. Like, they can talk about Joe and they can speculate as to why he's popular, but you can tell that they don't actually understand his actual show if you listen to it. Or people that talk about the way Radio Lab works, if they happen to make one of those charts. I mean, you know, I've heard well, you talk Josh, about Radio... You, you've <laughs> you've come to another one of my problems in that the podcasting press is not exactly the most educated of bunches of people. I heard someone was talking about, in relation to one of those rankers, that they didn't understand how Joe could have so many ads at the start. But if you actually are a fan of his show, and I, I listen to the guests when I'm interested, I like the fact that as a percentage of the entire show... It's way smaller than Conan O'Brien has a friend or whatever it is in terms of ad versus content. Like you're getting them all at the start. If you don't like it, just skip over it. But that to me just showed a fundamental misunderstanding of it's like they're talking about things they're not really experiencing. They're just looking at the chart and then thinking, oh, well, he was a comedian. That's why his show's big. He's on the radio. That's why their show's big. I think it's almost sometimes a discredit to the quality of those big shows that we don't give their actual podcasts more credit for why they're popular. Am I off base there? Like, you can't be on that list if your podcast crap, no matter how famous you are. Yes and no. Oh, um, here we go. I love this. Bring it on. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> the, the, there is an inherent uh, advantage to being involved with an iHeartRadio, for instance. You're going to get a built-in audience no matter what because you have that brand stamped on your show. There are shows that have been popular that don't necessarily sing to all people. And I'll use Serial as the prime example. Serial is probably one of the most popular podcasts in the world. Everyone points to Serial as like the podcast that changed the industry. And in some aspects it did. You can't take that part away. However, I was not a big fan of Serial. I did not enjoy the listening experience or the story that was being told. It just wasn't for me. But I can't deny the fact that it was apparently something for a lot of people and is still something for a lot of people. It's still garnering a large audience to this day. I mean, that's just something that ends up happening. But I do, I, I get what you're saying. If the, I, and I think that's why a lot of independent podcasters clamor to get on those charts because they know 
just from a pure marketing standpoint, if I'm in the top 100, let's just throw out a random number, I know that I'm going to be seen by a certain group of people. I'll be like, well, if they're in this group, then they must be good. But it doesn't, it, you aren't necessarily all that great. You just happen to have a large audience. Maybe I've been viewing them the wrong way because I am an independent. I look at those things and the first thing I think is, what can what can I learn from the shows that are on that list when maybe I should be thinking, I should be trying to get on the list? Well, I'm going to say something that Joel would probably save me from from saying, but there's a lot of companies on that list that have no clue what a great podcast is or how to make a great podcast, but they're there because they're making the podcast because they want to make money. Um, it's, it's as simple as that. And for them, they have to be on that list to make as much money as they possibly can make. To me, I'm a content guy. I grew up in content. I, I've, I've focused on content my entire career. And I can sniff out what is great content and what is very good content and what is just a piece of dog do. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, and to me, when it comes to great content, even if it's not for me, it's got to have three, it's got to have what I call the three E's. It's got to be educational. It's got to be entertaining. That one seems to be pretty clear. And it's got to be evocative. You have to evoke an emotion out of your audience. And it doesn't necessarily, that emotion doesn't necessarily need to be sadness or anger or laughter. It can be any type of emotion can, does it entice me? Does it make me want to learn more about this particular topic? If, it, if you don't have those three E's, you can still be pretty good and you can still have a large audience, but you're not great. To me, I think people throw around the word great when it comes to content and they don't necessarily understand what the true definition of what great content really is. I could go on a massive tangent about that <laughs> when it comes to great. A lot of people are talking about music these days, and they use the word great when they're talking about- It's terrible. What are you talking about? I'm that old man now that listens to my kids' music and goes, yeah. that is terrible. Put on some Metallica if and, you want to listen to some great music. I mean, and honestly, <laughs> I've heard a few records recently that I thought were incredible, but Led Zeppelin 4 is 5 out of 5. Sorry, but you don't get to be 5 out of 5. Because the five out of all the Beatles is five out of five, or whatever band it is, classic band is a five out of five. You don't get to just release a record and get four out of five. You have to be held right. to that standard. But that's probably completely, completely off. But it goes to your point about the ranker and 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 sort of why people look at a ranker the way that they do. And there are a number of shows that are part of the ranker that aren't anywhere. They're probably not even a four out of five, but they're listed in that top. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, and people go, well, it's got to be a four out of five. It's funny, just on the before we move on from Rankers, Jay, there's there's an Australian podcast ranker that was powered by some of the big radio networks here. And for anyone listening from overseas, Australia's radio market is very talent-rich and incredibly well-resourced. It, it's right up there with the most well-resourced radio markets in the world. So they have enough money to power their way into things. And they created a podcast ranker, but they only accessed podcasts that were on a certain analytics platform that was only accessible for people with a lot of money. And it meant that all the radio shows were ranked number one 
and there weren't any of the big independent podcasts. And I'm not sure if you've heard of our our ABC, Jay. It's basically yes, our our public broadcaster. Most of their podcast numbers destroy all the commercial radio shows. Uh, there's a big show in Australia called Teacher's Pet, which is probably the biggest Australian podcast ever. That wasn't featured on there. When they first released The Ranker, it was two or three months before the big independent and public radio shows were part of The Ranker. And to me, it felt like they know they can't compete with the real podcasts for numbers, so they're trying to get a leg up over a couple of months and generate some press. And how do you feel about those kind of rankers? Because that's not really ranking a whole industry. It's just kind of self-glorification for a couple of months. Well, you've brought up another point that I've I've sort of put the dots, but I haven't connected them all together for you. And that's the look at who was behind the ranker and then understand the reasoning why that ranker exists. <laughs> so <laughs> you sort of you sort of just highlighted exactly who was in charge of the ranker and why that ranker existed. And then and then you sort of get the idea of what's going on there. And since Australia is still fairly nascent in this in this industry although i would say australia has probably been one of the forefront countries after the united states i mean even probably more so than than the united kingdom uh in my opinion there wasn't a ranker so there were a conglomerate that created a ranker that showcased their podcast so that they could make more money and because they are on that ranker we just discussed this whole psychology behind the ranker. There are people who have no idea. They they don't look at the behind the scenes. They don't look at what's driving all of this information. They just look at it and take it as fact and they consume it and then they go forth and they use that information as they would see fit. So if there's an uneducated person that looks at a ranker and goes, oh, this is in a top 10. I need to listen to this. And all these other podcasts are rubbish. Unfortunately, what ends up happening? And that's sort of what the other reason why I like to highlight these rankers is because I like to point out who's in charge of the rankers, what's behind the ranker, what you know, what is the reasoning for this, what's going on behind this. And I think it might be a pod Vader like a special saying that you only throw it every once in a while, follow the money. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't really claim that. I mean, that was just something that I learned yeah, from yeah, a young age but... that when, when you follow the money, you, you sort of understand exactly what's going on. That's why the, the whole virus shutting down the entire world right now, I I'm trying to follow the money as much as I possibly can. And I just don't see the advantage here for, for anyone. Why, why I call it a special one is because every time you say that, Joel just has this, you can tell that he gets audibly a little hesitant of, oh gosh, where's this going? <laughs> it's your way of prepping him that I'm about to get real. So, talking of talking of money, Jay, there's something that you guys were talking about. Obviously, Spotify comes up a lot on Always Listening. Why is the subject of Spotify saving potentially gobs of cash by not having to pay music rights holders for all those podcasting minutes why isn't that the focus of their drive into podcasting because if you look at their financials their biggest cost is paying rights holders and as a side note if you're a podcaster and you're wondering why you don't get royalties because your country doesn't have legislated rights for the creation of that content and there aren't 
embedded mechanical and creative rights. So you can stop dreaming about that for the time being and start lobbying your government. But back to Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) Why does that not get highlighted more? Is it because it's not exciting to talk about that Spotify are trying to save money as a way of making money? Or am I just missing something here? Uh, why does it not get, I, you know, quite honestly, cause I don't think it matters that much. I do think that, I mean, that's obviously a, a significant portion of why they're so heavily involved in podcasting. I think though, that there's the, there's the underbelly too, of the understanding that they aren't doing let's sort of roll back to Apple, right? So Apple has as this podcasting app that doesn't make a dime for Apple, at least to this point that we can see. And they've done this app again on the surface, as far as we can see out of the kindness of their heart. It was apparently something that Steve jobs just believed needed to be done. And Apple was the place that it could be done with any listening app that has come after Apple is not done out of the kindness of that company's heart. It's done (laughs) with some sort of monetary gain or monetary goal in mind. And I think that's been really the focus on Spotify. And I've always been cautious about Spotify because when they originally opened up their app, it wasn't to shows that could have passed through RSS feeds. It had to be hosted on Spotify company and they had language in their contracts that said that they could monetize this content without sharing the revenue. Yeah. And, and I was very much anti Spotify until they opened up the doors and they started allowing pass through and shows that had dynamic advertising could now benefit from being on Spotify because they could still earn their revenue from the advertising they were getting from dynamic ads. Now we've come to a point where Spotify is still building something to monetize the podcasts that are on their platform. And they are making agreements with bigger podcasters to split revenue that they are going to be providing those bigger podcasters. Now, one of the things that has been introduced during this virus on Spotify is an ad platform for bigger podcasters. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I wish Joel would um, start podcasting with me again, Joel. Come on, Joel. <laughs> so that, because uh, this is one of those things where it's like, this is coming. Adver- ads in podcasts on Spotify, more than just in the pre and the post, are coming. It's not that far away. And it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And just so you know, those agreements that you've all agreed to to have your show on Spotify still haven't been changed. You're still placing your content on their platform with the understanding that they can monetize that content without sharing any of that revenue. I by no means think that that was Spotify's only goal was cost reduction, but that to me was the initial story. Every second that they're not playing a song, they're not, and someone's still using the app and still paying for that premium subscription or still hearing an ad and not paying a rights holder for that. That was an initial cost saving for every second that happens. Moving forward, I can see that they they don't have a war chest like Apple. I mean, I don't know if anyone has a war chest like Apple, but 
Apple would be turning on their monetization of podcasts because they wanted to. Spotify are not a huge money-making operation. And all it would take is if the major music markets had any change of music licensing rights and it could impact their business directly if they had to pay out even more money. So I can see them going heavy on monetizing in the future. So you're thinking, Jay, it's going to be through having the ability to buy ad placements through some kind of platform? Well, again, Spotify has done it very intelligently. They have created a revenue river where, one, they are decreasing their rights, the amount of money that they're paying in music rights because more people are listening to the podcasts. Two, the people that are listening to podcasts are being sold on a premium subscription. So they they are getting more subscribers to their premium product. Uh, so they are generating more revenue in that. I believe their Q1 report came out and they did see a, another pretty sizable increase in revenue, even though they, I believe, are still operating in the red. Uh, but their their profits are starting to grow. They are going to be they're going to be at a point where they will be able to compete even from a monetary standpoint with Apple, I think, again, sooner rather than later. And then they're going to put advertisements on podcasts more than just in the pre and the post, and they're going to do them in the middle. And they're going to, again, I did this calculation with Joel about Apple a couple years ago, or at least a year ago. I don't remember when, but time is is something that we've all lost yes. sense of at this particular <laughs> point. But if Apple were to turn on what I've called the money-making machine, they could easily, easily make a million dollars. Like, I totally forget the number, but it was, it was millions of dollars extremely easily with a very low revenue share with, with all the podcasters that are on their platform. Knowing that and knowing that Spotify has that intention, like the, if Spotify turns on the money-making machine before Apple does, and they're not sharing the revenue with the podcasters. They'll they're going to be able to take baths in money like on a daily basis. <laughs> at that point, I don't think I want to see that happen. But just one more thing, maybe that that this is anecdotal completely, Jay. But when it comes to Apple and whether they do or don't monetize podcasts, there is a certain group of people like myself that stay with Apple because podcasting is central in my life and I used to be a Castro Plus user and now I'm an Overcast user and I also use an app called Backpack Studio to produce one of my podcasts. I'm not going to consider an Android, even though the new Samsung S20 is incredible and I sell some of them at work, for all intents and purposes, it's probably as nice or a better phone than my new Pro Max iPhone 11. But I stayed with Apple and I didn't even really give it any thought because the main thing I consume is podcasts and there's no better way to do it, in my opinion, at the moment than Overcast. And I love Backpack and it's not on Android. So aren't Apple making money off a certain portion of people that just, there's four or five things they care about and podcasting is one of them and they just want to stay on Apple because that's where their favorite apps are? Or am I, is my use case just not generalizable? I think you are a very specific use case. But I'm also a very specific use case. So I have an iPhone just because that was the first smartphone after the BlackBerry that I had. And so I've just stayed on an iPhone. But I don't update. Like, I'm on an iPhone 9, I think, right now. 
I don't know. I'm not at I'm not at the latest iPhone. That one must be from the Star Wars universe because I don't think there was an <laughs> iPhone nine. Oh, whatever, whatever. I don't. That's why I say I don't even know which number yeah. iPhone I'm on. <laughs> I just know I'm like I I know I'm like three or four years behind in regards to the whatever the latest iPhone is. I mean, I don't. I'm not one of those guys that I need to update my tech. You know, as soon as the latest thing is out. You know, and I know that there are others that are. My wife is one who she only uses an Android phone because that's the only thing that she's ever had. And she does. She the only reason why she ends up updating to the next level of phone is because the contract we have gives her a discount on whatever the new phone is when the contract is up. So she. It's like, okay, well, then I might as well just upgrade to the next phone. But it's not something like if that went away, she would be perfectly fine with the phone that she currently has now. So I think it's different for everyone. And I don't know how much of the general public is like you and how much of the general public is like me and how much of the general public is just like, I just need a phone yeah. <laughs> so that I can sort of exist in the world. I don't know how much of that there is. But I'm sure there are people that do know that. And I'm sure the people at Spotify know it. And I'm sure the people at Apple know it. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure they, they make business decisions based on that type of knowledge. For me, as long as podcasting isn't costing Apple any more than really than what it is now, and there is people that rebuy Apple for the way that they handles podcasts, I can't see, this is just me speculating, I can't see Apple at this time turning on anything to monetize the podcast. But that's just me guessing because I think if that was the case, they obviously would have to scale up the team around podcasts, which they seem, I'm not sure how much they do that. But yeah, I can't imagine there'll be any more people working on podcasting at Apple than there already is at Spotify. Apple is very secretive about what they do. Spotify is very public about what they do. Yeah, you're right about that. So, (laughs) so we do know that Apple is hiring more and more podcast specific type people, producers and whatnot, because we've seen the we've seen the classifieds for those particular openings. And we know that they are working on stuff in the background. What that stuff is, we have no idea. We can only sit and speculate because Apple won't tell us. Spotify, on the other hand, has been super public about everything that they do and and sort of open to what we do. And so when we do speculate, it's based on more available information than what's happening in Apple. I tend to agree. I don't think Apple doesn't have a reason to monetize podcasting at this particular point in time. And ultimately, whatever money that they could earn from monetizing podcasts would be a drop in the bucket. And the only other thing I can tell you is I once went to a company when I was working at Blog Talk Radio and explained to them how much revenue they could make from using the technology that we had there using dynamic ads. And it came out to like two or three million dollars a year. And the company scoffed at me and was like, <laughs> that's pocket change. Uh, I can make more. And as, so they would rather, they decided that they'd rather continue to make less money in podcasting and take a negative loss in their podcasting department, than take a positive gain because it wasn't enough millions of dollars. So my guess is that's a similar issue at Apple similar thing that's going on in apple that is going on that's going on with that story that i shared 
So, Jay, as a couple of guys that probably care more about content than they do about technology companies, I'm going to move us away. Hopefully, you've got time for one last question. This Sure. Is there anything that you saw from radio professionals either at ESPN or from your work with Blog Talk Radio or even with Locked On that you think is would translate over to the average independent podcaster? Like, what do the professional people do when they're preparing or presenting content that you think would help just most independent shows out there? Uh, you said the word uh, that I think a lot of independents don't do, and that's prepare. I think that there's a lot of planning that goes into many of the top podcasts that independent podcasters just don't do. They they go, well, I planned it. I I came up with a topic that I know quite a bit about and I am ready to turn on my mic and I have uh, a friend of mine who also knows quite a bit about this information and I'm going to sit and I'm going to talk with that particular person about it. And that's okay, but there might be a podcasting company that is also very knowledgeable on that particular topic. And not only are they knowledgeable about it, but they've now created an outline of exactly how they're going to attack telling the story about this particular topic. And I think that's that let me let me stop right there and use the talk about the word story because I think a lot of podcasters don't embrace the fact that every time you turn on a microphone you're telling a story. Uh there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end and there's a flow to that. The there's a sort of an arc if you will, to get to the, you should be always building towards that middle and then bam, hitting them with that resolution at the end. You have, you have that conflict up to the middle, you get that resolution at the end and then you have the res and then you, uh, you sort of have your epilogue, if you will. So you have that story arc and that should be in everything that you do. Like you plan that out so that because people will listen to that. That's how you get people listening to whatever type of audio content that you're putting out there. They, they get entrenched into that storytelling arc and they feel the buildup and they, they, they feel the tension and they want to know how is this tension going to be resolved? What is the resolution? Oh my God, there's a major conflict for our hero. Our, our heroes in trouble. What is he going to do? How is he going to solve this problem? And Oh, he slayed the dragon and everything is happy and dandy in the universe. Once again, yeah, <laughs> so sort of understanding, understanding that no matter what topic you have follows exactly that, that shape that I just described to you, yeah. even if it's about a phone, even if it's about cutting the grass, even if it's about whatever, if you tell your stories in that fashion every single time, your audience just, they can't help but be intrigued by what it is that you're talking about. That's that's awesome. And I might cut that bit out <laughs> and put that at the start of the show as per some of Jay's instruction on always listening. The <laughs> one thing that really stood out to me there is it actually kind of mimics how I approached this interview, Jay, just to go inside baseball, behind the curtain, I had about 20 questions that I thought that I might ask Jay before, and I've had them in my phone for ages, before I'd even reached out to ask for an interview. In the last week, and this may be good or bad prep, and maybe Jay can tell me, I've listened to every podcast that he has done that I could find. And I am listening at faster speed, so it's not like I've 
you know, I haven't listened to 100 hours, but it allowed me to highlight the things that light Jay up a little bit, but also allowed me to cut out the stuff that he said a thousand times. And hopefully when this comes out and if people are still listening, you've just heard an interview that's different that features Jay. And that was my goal. How do I cover things that you don't talk about as much? And that took a lot of prep (laughs) because I didn't want to get a guy on the phone and I think it's helped the rapport that we have because I feel like I know you already. Yeah, I have to say I'm greatly humbled that you've listened to everything that I've Well, everything that I could find. Yeah, I mean, that's to do with podcasting. Obviously, this is only a small niche, but most of it was always listening. And that's how, I mean, you can tell me, is that the wrong kind of prep? Is there something else? No, that's- That's a hundred percent the right kind of prep. You want to be, especially if it's an interview, if you're doing, if you're conducting an interview, you want to go in as, as knowledgeable as you can. And one of the greatest things that was bestowed to me in, in my teachings and my learnings of, of how to conduct an interview is you never want to ask a question you don't know the answer to. Uh, so by listening to everything that I've done, even if you're asking a question that you're looking to get further knowledge on, you can sort of guess in what direction I might go with my answer. And I might surprise you, but the beauty of conducting an interview and, and by preparing questions ahead of time is you have an idea of where you want that story to go. If I take you on a different path though, than you intended, you're listening to what I'm saying to you and you can follow it and then you can redirect that path back to to where you ultimately want the story to go uh but you should always be surprised and i'm like i said i'm greatly humbled that you've listened to so much of of what i've talked about i enjoy the show and (laughs) to me it goes back to the anti-establishment thing it's good to hear some fresh perspective on the same industry news and you guys have on always listening you do have a unique take you realize that not every radio market in the world sucks not every radio host sucks (laughs) and not every radio station (laughs) sucks and there are things that radio do that does apply to podcasting but you're also not so in the radio bubble that you don't realize that podcasting is very different to radio still like there's similarities but there are differences and look trust me Jay, I wouldn't have listened to every episode from 12 months of a show if I didn't like the two people on it, because <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. Well, I, I will I will say both Joel and I have that unique background of working, having had worked at commercial radio and in podcasting. So we have the perspective, we can provide the perspective from both sides of the aisle, if you will. Yeah. And. I'm a very big proponent of there isn't one side of the aisle or the other. It's the middle that is always the right path. It's never one way or the other. It's always the what's right here in the middle is the way that it should be done. I'm I've always been a believer of that. And uh, I will continue to be a believer of that uh, to my dying day. It's the way I um, plan on raising my children and it's the way that i try and educate any podcaster that reaches out for any of my advice so how can a podcaster reach out i am available uh via twitter at the real pod vader my dms are always open so you can uh, reach out to me 
there. You can also send me an email. I have a podcast email called nextfanup at gmail.com. That's uh, intended for my podcast, but it's a way that you can reach me publicly. I only give my private email to very special people. And, um, yeah, if, if, if you've got questions or, or you're looking for help or you want advice, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. It's really refreshing to me as being someone that's, I've got all these myriad interests and sport is one of those interests. It's great that there's voices in the space that understand that people love sport as much as they love tech and as much as they love true crime <laughs> and as much as they love whatever most of the people who pontificate about the space say that you know they don't seem to really have an affection for sport themselves so they discount sport podcast sports podcasts as a thing when they seem to be one of the enduring elements of the space so i just want to say thank you for you guys particularly you jay for always bringing that up and always listening that sport has a place and it probably always will in this medium well i mean it's probably because I was there at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. want to make sure that, that sport is is remembered in this spot. But but again, uh, uh, boy, we we've covered so much. Yeah. Uh, and 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 you talked about the love of sport in Australia, and one of the things that one of my uh, friends, who was a former boss of mine at ESPN, he ended up uh, moving to Australia for a period of time, and he became a fan of the Magpies. Yeah, yeah, and. <laughs> Gosh. And was descri- <laughs> describing to me sort of what it meant to be a fan of the magpies. And it it was sort of a blend of what American football fans here have for their team and how they portray themselves as fans of that particular team. And also how fans of the Premier League soccer teams uh, root for their teams and that blend is 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 very interesting to me because it's cuz cuz the way that premier league fans are and the way that american football fans are is really different and to, to see a blend of of those two ways of being a fan of a team yeah. perhaps that's a that's a that's a that's perhaps a topic i should dive into how to be a fan of your team i think that's got some legs i happen to know a lot of Collingwood Magpies, that's the name of the team. They're, it's a team from Melbourne. Having known a lot of those fans over the years, how to still be proud of your team when part of your fan base are completely nutso. <laughs> Was that true? <laughs> because you're right. I mean, nothing, there's no team in any sport in Australia, maybe besides the actual Australian cricket team. But fans of the Magpies are next level. The only analogy I could draw is to Manchester United. That's yeah, crazy. Okay, Jay, well, I think I've kept you maybe to the point of divorce. So let's maybe, <laughs> let's call this one. Well, Thank you, sir. See, once again, <laughs> once again, and, unless it's your divorce, because my day has just begun. Yeah. I'm getting ready for my Friday. Your Friday is over. Yes, correct. And that's I'm starting to get a little sleepy because I'm an old man. So thank, thanks so much again, Jay. I know that my audience is going to really get a lot out of this. And yeah, I'll chop out some of those special J moments and I might make a little collage of all your special sayings. I might even start. Didn't you have a some on a fantasy football podcast you had a little dictionary or a vocabulary finder? Yeah. I might do one and yep. dedicate it to you. Wow. That would be 
I, w- I would be honored and humbled yet again, but uh, it's completely unnecessary and above and beyond. First two words that won't be on there, honored and humble. <laughs> right, mate. Well, when you're when you're a Sith Lord who celebrates Revenge of the Sixth, you don't know what humbling is. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll already be on the seventh, so you can have the sixth. <laughs> now, nah, there you okay. go. Righto, thank you, sir. And yeah, catch you later. Thanks, Josh. Catch you, mate. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.